hello, Barbara. Hello, John. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good, good. That's a good thing to be at this time. Um, thank you for agreeing to be on Desert Island Discs Without the Discs, or whatever we want to call it. Um, you're very welcome, and thank you for sparing the time. I wonder if perhaps we begin at the very beginning and ask a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up in North London, mm -hmm. a very typical suburban area. Mm -hmm. I can remember we, uh, we knew everybody in the road uh, and people stayed where they people didn't move around so much. So yes, when we, uh, we grew up there and as I say, I went to a school where my mother had gone to, secondary school, right. and there were still teachers there that had taught her. And so, how did you compare with your mother as far as they were concerned? Oh, she was a very bad girl. Was she? <laughs> very naughty, but I was always a goody-goody. All right. Okay. I remember your mother, so yes. <laughs> I had never had her down as a naughty girl, but um, yeah. Well, she said she, she used to be a bit, um, yeah. But we had a, our local Methodist church. My mother was very devout, and we, I went to Sunday school as soon as I could. And the church was really important in our lives. And it was a brilliant church, as looking back. Um, I was born just at the end of the war, well, mm -hmm. 44. And this was a post-war built building, so new, mm -hmm. the church. And thriving and we were encouraged to take part i was in the girls life brigade i was a sunday school teacher i was on the teenage mission band used to go around with a local preacher and uh, so oh the junior choir and can remember singing the messiah every good friday evening it was pretty, impressive. pretty impressive big youth club and big congregations and we were encouraged to take part and I this is what I think is really good about Bell Roads that you get people engaged particularly the youngsters mm -hmm. in worship and things yeah. absolutely I'm sure it really helped me yeah. my mum was really involved with what was called women's work for overseas missions mm and I think that's why, when I was about eight, I can remember walking home, because church was quite a way away, we had no car. And I said, I'm going to be a missionary. Okay, yeah. So I was going to be a missionary. Mm -hmm. um, I did think I might be a doctor, but when I was in what we called the fifth form, our rather select girls grammar school joined with the boys grammar school mm. so didn't do much for my a levels great fun but <laughs> um so in the end yeah. i did a nursing course that you needed two a levels for right and i came out the other end as a state registered nurse district nurse health visitor then i went on to do my midwifery and then i said to the methodist missionary society here i am send me and they said you're not well qualified enough you've got to go away and do this that the other i said okay and i had done six months as a staff midwife my, 
my mum was only Sussex then, when they said, would you like to go out to Sierra Leone in six weeks' time? And I said, right. yes, please. Six weeks. So, yes, I worked right. at a hospital in um, Sierra Leone. It's called the Nixon Memorial Methodist Hospital. Right. Is it still there? Mm, well, it is, but not in such... Not in the form it was. After the troubles in Sierra right. Leone. It, yeah. it, it's, you know, had a lot of problems then. Mm -hmm. But I was... I'd left by then. I, I got, when I arrived there, I thought I was going to do, be the sister on the midwifery ward. But they told me I was going to be sister tutor. Right. Um, and I was consoled myself during all the troubles in Sierra Leone that actually the nurses were trained. Wherever they'd fled to, Guinea or, or wherever in Sierra mm. Leone, they, they were still able to use their skills. Um, right. That's good. And it was while I was in Sierra Leone, I was asked to be an exhorter. An exhorter. Tell us about exhorting. I think it's a <coughs> lovely word. Mm -hmm. So it's basically preaching. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be an exhorter, maybe I need to do my local preacher's mm -hmm. uh, training. So when I went on leave, I went on note and they went on trial, and then everybody forgot about me. So I was on trial for 10 years. Wow. In those days, you did four exams. Mm -hmm. So I had done three exams by the time I came back in 79. That was from the Gambia. Uh, but I was fully accredited once Robert had been born in 1980. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... You came back to this country and settled here? In I came back to marry Dave. So how did you two meet then? It wasn't one of his fireman jobs, was it, or something? No. No. It was while I was training at Hammersmith Hospital as a nurse. Mm -hmm. He's from the Great Shepherd's Bush, mm. as everybody probably knows, the <laughs> centre of the universe. Um, some friends and I went to a judo class, and he was one of the instructors. Mm -hmm. He ha he has a, had had a black belt in judo, and so yeah, got to know him then. Mm. But I was going to be a missionary, <laughs> so. Um, even though we sort of went out a bit before I went abroad, I was going to be a missionary, and he wasn't churchy at that time, really, at all. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's how I met him. Mm. Right, okay, good. It's always good to get that worked out and sorted out, because that's the facts that, that people want to know. Um, so, did you go back out to be a missionary, because you didn't stay in Sierra Leone? No, I came home... But that's another story. Um, and then decided I would go back again. So I was asked, did you want to go back to Sierra Leone or go somewhere else? And I said, I'd like to go back to Sierra Leone. So they sent me somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And so I went to yeah. the Gambia, which was rural health clinics. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Mm -hmm. in, in, um, I mean, it's a really small country, the Gambia. Mm -hmm. 
you got to sort of know everybody. Mm. And we lived in a small rural village, 30 miles from the capital. For practically all the time there, myself and the other nurse who was there, if I was lucky, there was somebody else, um, we had the only transport. Right. Or shall I say the only motorised transport out mm -hmm. of the village. And you would, if you heard a car, I mean, it's hard to imagine this, you heard a car, you'd, you'd run out to the door to see who it was because there were no cars. There were no so cars. it was somebody coming yeah. either for you or mm. going down to the next village on the way to Senegal. Yeah. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. So th those, those years obviously were very formative for you. In, in thinking about what you're doing and your faith and just practical faith, really, I guess. Yes, because at times it was really challenging. Mm. Um, and I certainly learned how to rely on God. And I mean, I, it's quite difficult at times um, relying on your own strength. And... I was on my own in that village. When I say on my own, that's, I wasn't. There were all the people in the village. Mm. Not huge number. Maybe, I don't know how many would, there would have been 200 people in a small village. So right. you, you did know yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, but 11 months I was on my own. And they would bring you any kind of illness or accident. Mm. and um, So it was, it was pretty challenging. Yeah. Um, and... I learnt the language because you really had to do it, but it was fascinating. And I got to know, not all the people were Muslim, but it was basically a Muslim village. So there were Christians, we had a church and uh, did the Sunday school. And um, Did you find at that time there was any conflict there in terms of faith? No, not no. at all. West African Islam is very gentle. Mm -hmm. The imam was a charming gentleman. He wasn't local. He'd mm. trained, he'd done a lot of training. But we saw more of his wives mm. when they had their children and mm. things like that. But no, he was lovely. He was lovely. And um, mm. my mum came to stay and uh, they're saying to her, we'd never let anything bad happen to your daughter. She thought, oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> well... If anything happened to her, what would happen to us when we got ill? Fair enough, yeah. You've got to have a purpose. We're very practical. We all need a purpose in life, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so obviously, you came back home um, and you settled in, in, in Isleworth. You in married, the fire station. In the fire flat. station, I remember the fire station, yes. You married the fireman um, and um, had two wonderful children who are now all fully grown up. Um, and you obviously resettled here at Bell Road and um, obviously saw it through many changes and, and many ministers. Have you any memories of those days? When you... Oh, I do. I, I'm... When I came back, I went through a period of... It was the culture shock. Coming home was much worse than going out to Africa. It was really, mm. I can remember, my mum my lived in Sussex in a small village near Hastings. But I can remember walking, I, I mean, you fly back in six hours mm. from 
no electric light, no advertisements, and you come back and you feel bombarded. We cut it out. But so, yes, um, it was a culture shock, and I, I really lost confidence, mm. uh, not knowing anybody in this area, mm. apart from my new husband. Um, but the church was brilliant. I mean, I don't know how I'd have managed if I didn't belong to a church at that time. Mm. And they welcomed me with open arms, and I went to the, got invited to the Bright Hour. Oh, the Bright Hour, yes. And um, so I went to the Bright Hour, which was, dare I say, the more spiritual one than the Women's Fellowship. <laughs> but in the end, we amalgamated, and I, I was secretary of that for ages. And I can remember great jumble sales. But I, I can remember the, the different ministers and, um, and the whole refurbishment and worshipping round at the URC for some months. Mm. Um, so how did you get from being, you came back here, you got settled, you became part of this church, you were a local preacher, um, and yet somewhere along the line there was a niggling, a calling or something that took you a bit beyond because obviously you then trained for the ministry. What, 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 what brought you to that point? I think Marion Crawford did have quite, um, because she... she she was Bell Road's first woman minister, I think. Yes, she was. Though we had had others in the circuit, certainly one. Uh, and there were other uh, women who um, offered for the ministry, like Alison Waterhouse, mm. like the minister's wife, Christine Jones. And there was a sort of niggle. Um, but I always said, oh, can't do that, God. Dave would never agree. But actually, during Andrew Lund's time, he came into membership. He did. And he, yeah. he was always incredibly supportive mm. of everything I did. And then when I was 50, I went with my ex-missionary colleague, um, and we took Lizzie, who was about 12, back to the Gambia. Mm -hmm. And I think it was being away from everything, gives you that perspective and I came back and our superintendent asked me to, if I would consider being a circuit steward and I said I'll think about it I thought about it and thought I don't want to be a circuit steward I want to candidate and become a minister so he said well never mind you can still be a circuit steward it's good experience but I wasn't <laughs> I don't think I was circuit steward material, but I, I was, yeah. and it helped me know a bit more about the yeah. management of the church. So, yeah, so I was quite getting on before I candidated. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, Dave was incredibly supportive. And it was to be a minister in local appointment. Mm -hmm. So um, I worked in the circuit a bit, and while I was training, I sort of fell into hospital chaplaincy. Well, there's a logic there with your nursing background. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And they were in a bit of a fix at the time at West Mid. And so I got employed um, while I was on probation and ended up sort of doing three, three and a half days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and I did. I really loved that. Mm. And then when I went for my, <laughs> my five-year review, as everybody has to, um, they said do you really want to carry on doing what you're doing now 
until you retire. Would you consider going itinerant? Just, just for everybody, itinerant means... Means having a pastoral charge of a church, meaning right. yeah. move, yeah. move from yeah. Richmond and Hampshire. On your horse. As, as On your horse run, yeah. yeah. Had I thought of it and I said no, mm. I thought, Dave wouldn't want that. <laughs> and I came home, we talked about it, and he said, well... You do have to jump out of your bed all times of the night, about three nights a week at the moment. You're not getting any younger, and you wake me up when you do that. <laughs> so in the end, we, not that year, but the next year, we said, okay. Mm. And very exciting. I mean, the children by this time were in their 20s. Mm. And we said, we'd like to stay in the London district. Mm. So, so they sent so us to Maidenhead. Yeah, that sounds very typical, yeah. Out of the London district, yes. Yeah. Mm. And I had three amazing churches. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you were there for quite some time, weren't you? Yes. I thought I was going to be there for my last five years, and then I wouldn't have to go through this horrible re-invitation mm. thing. That's how we worked it out. Mm. And, um, but I stayed on, I was, I think at St. Mark's, um, Jeffrey's mum and dad's church, uh, for six years. And then they got in a bit of a mess with the staffing and I said, okay, I'll stay on and look after Windsor, but I won't do it just for one year. So I stayed for two years and that was really hard work. Windsor's a big church and four little for village churches as well. Mm. But yeah, great. I I like the preaching. I love the pastoral work. And it's, it's a really nice area. Mm. And then I retired and came back here. Indeed you did. To our advantage, yes. Indeed. And um, since then I have done 18 months in Staines and Felton part-time. Yeah. That was interesting as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I can remember when, I know I was thinking the other night about local preaching, because when I came back from Africa, I said to Roger Jacob, who was here, I don't know whether I can really want to do preaching in this country. Everybody's a bit intellectual, but different from basic village, but he persuaded me. Um, and I used to go to local preachers' meetings, and there were people like the Seakins and the Ludlows, and there was a couple from Barnes, and there was, what was his name, Turner, who were, you know the one I mean? I do. He was there. I mean, all very yes. high-powered. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. But, but, but you're still going. I'm still, still going, going, yeah. So, Barbara, what, what? I mean, you, you've seen the church in so many different guises over your years. What's, what's your hope for the future as we start to kind of find our way out of the pandemic? What would you say for the church is, is the future? You didn't think I was going to ask you that one. No. Um, I think in some ways we are, is that the right word, burdened by our buildings. Mm. And we have to really look at how we are in the community 
rather than in our very nice, comfortable, lovely fellowship, wanting people to come in. Nothing wrong with that, but mm -hmm. we need to be out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is why I like doing chaplaincy and things like street pastors. And when I was a minister, itinerant minister, I like to have things like open the book or be the interfaith group mm -hmm. so that you, you're not totally in the church all the time. Uh, I don't know. You know, you wonder what Jesus would have thought. Would he have circuit meetings and committees? And I mean, they are a necessary uh, thing. I, you need to be organized, and we are Methodists after Methodists all. Methodists in our madness, yes. Yeah. But I think we need to be outward-looking. Um, I think we are very fortunate here at Bell Road that we have great families. Mm. And because I think you really lose out of peop, peop, younger people with fresh faith. Mm. Shall I tell you what really made my Easter? You can cut this out if you like. But my little granddaughter of five, mm. Lizzie video, videoed her because... My daughter, Liz said, Nanny B would love to hear you tell her the story of Easter that she'd gone home from school with. Mm -hmm. So there she is. She said, I hope you're listening, Nanny. <laughs> As children do, yes. I want to tell you about Jesus and how he was, it's very sad, he was killed by some very bad people on the cross and then he was put in a cage. I think she misheard that. That's similar to a cave. But, yeah. I mean, it was very moving. And I just... The enthusiasm, because mm. it's new to her. And she's surprised yes. other people have heard about Jesus. Mm. Mm. Um, and when you have young people who are coming to faith and they're full of enthusiasm, because we oldies, we, we can get comfortable in... It's like being married. You kind of take the love for granted, the relationship mm. for granted. But you need these young people like, like Cam, when she gave us her... Um, testimony mm. it's very moving yeah. when it's new and yeah. you remember what it was like when you first um, mm. came to uh, to faith um, we, we always need somebody to help us remember that we need to be fresh in what we do we need to mm. be fresh that's right mm. to um, in order to be able to share it and uh, so i'm taking from what you're saying that we need the church needs to leave the building you need a little slogan that says the church has left the building at times um and which is fantastic it's absolutely what it should be and we need to be looking for fresh ways to, to keep our faith fresh and to help us find new ways of finding god um which is yeah which is good which is important um what in all of this would make you angry about the world and where we are and the church or what makes you angry? And that's not Dave not putting his shoes in the right place. I, I've heard you ask other people this. And I, I did think about that. I'm not sure I get ang angry. Mm -hmm. I get cross and annoyed. And I'll tell you what really does make me annoyed. And that's litter and fly tipping. Mm -hmm. It's all about it's about the environment, but it's somehow about people having no concept of community, surely. Mm -hmm. um, and 
It's not as if you have to pay to take it to the tip, even. Mm. Or put it in the bin. Mm. But I can't quite understand why you get all these masses of stuff you get. So respect for the environment and people disrespecting it. So when I lived in Africa, we would have a pit mm -hmm. out the back of the compound and you would put your litter and then it would get fired every now and then for the mm -hmm. rubbish. But, mm. but you would, before you fired it or whatever, you'd find people had taken your tins and were using them for make toys and cups and beakers and things. Right. And that's really humbling that yeah. You realise uh, what a, a throwaway place we are. I said I would never get used to turning the electric light on. I would never get used to turning the tap on. But you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. You do. So, so one last question, and you know what's coming. I thought you might ask about Pentecost and then use them at Pentecost, but no, no carry on. No, no. What does the resurrection mean to you? Well... It's always I, more difficult if you're a preacher because you have to really think about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously I would agree with a lot of what people have said in the past. It is something about hope for life after death, the fact that love is eventually stronger than evil and death. Mm. But I have, it's not been, I don't know, it's a few years, I've struggled with the resurrection. Mm. Don't know why exactly, um, and I think to myself, I, St. Paul would tell me, and has written, that it, it matters very much. Mm. It's not, you're nothing mm. if you don't believe in the resurrection. Mm. But I don't agree with people who say the, the resurrection was this transforming thing. If you read the Gospels, it, it actually wasn't. Mm. The disciples... Well, Thomas perhaps came, and, mm. but so many of them were absolutely petrified still, behind locked doors. Mm. Even when Jesus ascended, it says some of them doubted, and they were there. Mm. And you have like St. Mark's Gospel, the women, the end of the Gospel, we think, the women just ran away, really couldn't understand, it was so perplexing couldn't get the heads around it and begin to think well it's a bit like Christmas it's a holy mystery the, the incarnation yeah. and okay what happened to Jesus after his death is a holy mystery and you have to sometimes hold things in tension the older I get the less certain I am but, you know, I don't think, I once read that actually doubts are okay. Mm -hmm. The opposite of faith is certainty. And that's, it doesn't make me angry, but when people believe they know everything that needs to be believed and they are right, mm -hmm. it, it's that I find quite threatening. Mm -hmm. um, so and so... Yeah, I mean, resurrection, maybe it's, it's built into our creation, like the spring coming round about how our bodies are amazing and they uh, renew themselves. Yeah. But, but um, as I say, jury's out slightly, but I don't think it matters to my faith. My faith is, 
And I don't, I don't go for the atonement theory on the cross either. Um, but it's all about God's love. It's all about God's love. And I think the important thing is that, that very often people are honest enough to say they have doubts about parts of what they read in the Bible. They have doubts about some of the doctrines. Um, I think too often we do ourselves as Christians a disservice by saying, of course that's right, and being certainty, as you say. So thank you for that, for the honesty and, um, and, and integrity that comes with that as well. Barbara, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And for your thank words. You. And, um, and it's, it's good to have had the time to, to talk. Thank you.